It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors, like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream, are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings, or the midnight munchies, yeah, You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. This week on The Takeout, we're on the road in the Palmetto State with South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition. Major Garrett, yes, CBS, yes, hi. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's The Takeout. Major. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major, that's nonsense. Major Garrett. And you should know better. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this amazing program known as The Takeout, where, as you know, dear listeners and viewers on CBSN, we are two things each and every week. What are those two things? One, relentlessly curious. Uh, Secondly, steadfastly non-ideological. All points of view welcome here at The Takeout table, and I'm happy to say we're back on the road again. We're in Columbia, South Carolina, and sitting at The Takeout table this morning at a restaurant called The Lizard's Thicket in Columbia, South Carolina, is the 117th governor of the state of South Carolina, Henry McMaster. Governor, it's great to see you. Glad to see you. Welcome to Columbia. Thank you so much for having us. And uh, Lizard Thicket is a restaurant that is popular here in Columbia. Several uh, of its restaurants exist in the capital city of South Carolina. Michelle, our wonderful waitress, will be approaching the table soon. I've got a country breakfast heading my way, so I'm happy about that. Governor, let me just talk a couple things about your background. You were the first U.S. attorney appointed by President Ronald Reagan. That's right. As I understand it, you ran the state campaign for Jack Kemp in 1988 here in South Carolina. And you were the first statewide official in South Carolina to endorse Donald Trump. Uh, They tell me the first First statewide statewide official maybe in the country. That's what they say, yes, sir. That's right. So my first question is, do you consider yourself a Ronald Reagan Republican, a Jack Kemp Republican, or a Donald Trump Republican? It's a good question. It's all three. All three. How is that, how is that possible? <clears throat> well, they're all, they're all different from what you usually see in, in politics. Or Jack Kemp was, it, there's been a great book written by Morton Kondracki and... Fred Barnes? Fred Barnes about Jack and <clears throat> saying that he was the finest... American politician who never became president, and I agree with that. He he was outstanding, but he's always positive, always thinking. Every time I saw him, he had a book. A lot of times we'd go places, and he'd do a press conference. I'd end up holding holding a book on Russia or something, something that nobody else was reading. But he was he was a great man, and he was inspirational. So was Ronald Reagan. There's no doubt about it. He woke up by, by speaking plainly in a language that people could understand, which, which Jack Kemp did as well. He encouraged people to get involved. Jack Kemp used to always say politics is not a spectator sport. you got to get out of the stands and get down on the field and play, get involved. And I see the same thing happening with Donald Trump that I saw with Reagan and Kemp. 
and that is encouraging people to get involved. They all speak common sense. There's no deception in them. They speak in a language that people can understand, albeit they're all different. They don't use the same words, but they're presenting the same message of a, a straightforward plan that uh, appeals, I think, to the heart of the people in the country. It reaches way back into the depths of the creation of the country, why we're here, why we're strong. And uh, so I think they're all, all were great, great men. I wish, uh, wish Jack could have been president. Of course, uh, H. George H.W. Bush became president mm-hmm. that year. And I, he was terrific as well. So was his son. They, I mean, we've had a lot of great, great people. But th- those three, I, I think, are terrific and are all the same kind of people. Do you think Ronald Reagan and Jack Kemp, looking at some of the ways that Donald Trump talks about issues or talks to the country, would be 100% comfortable with Donald Trump? They would probably say, as I do, that that's his way of communicating, and he's very effective. They were very effective in their way. They're all completely different from each other, mm-hmm. but they're very, very effective. What was it about Donald Trump that attracted you to endorse him when everyone else that was politically active in the Republican Party in this state was latching their stars to other wagons, to Jeb Bush, to Marco Rubio, to others? You did not. What was it you saw either in Trump or did you see an opening there that you thought would be helpful? I thought it was a little bit of what I saw in in John McCain, whom I thought was terrific. And I I, I was party chairman the first time he ran. He and and President Bush squared off, you remember, in in Mm -hmm. South Carolina, Mm -hmm. then candidate Governor Bush. And uh, uh, Governor big Bush scrap won. Here in South big, big, big scrap. scrap. Boy, it was something. It, it was. I was party chair. One of the toughest I was Republican primaries ever. That's right. And then uh, uh, he ran again in uh, 2008. John McCain mm-hmm. did, and I was involved in his campaign then. But he was. He called it the Straight Talk Express. You remember the mm-hmm. No Surrender Tour and all of that. But he he spoke straight to the people in a language that they could understand. And that's that's the same thing that that uh, Donald Trump is doing and he's doing it well and I think to change that you try to be somebody else you go fail mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think you have to do it your way and do it full blast and that's what he's doing and when you think about Donald Trump and his characterizations of Senator McCain now the late Senator McCain are you comfortable with those well everybody doesn't like everybody <laughs> I mean I, I, I think they're both great and I thought Ronald Reagan was great I thought uh, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, those were, I thought, terrific men. And as party chairman for nine years, uh, I had a chance to meet a whole lot of them because they were all coming through South Carolina, candidates, potential candidates, and being in office some have had a, a chance as well. Uh, they, everybody's different, and uh, the way people talk, uh, the way they make their point is, is their business, and if it works, they ought to keep on doing it. And that's the next question I wanted to ask you, if it works. Is it your take on politics that what the voters tell you is what matters most and what you think about it personally doesn't matter much at all? No, I think you have to be true to your own self. You, you have to, uh, I think it was, it was uh, Jack Kennedy that said one time, and maybe it was during the Cuban Missile Crisis or something, he's saying to abandon, there's something immoral about abandoning your own judgment. You shouldn't do it if, if you feel a certain way you ought to, you ought to say so you you are there to represent people but you're also there to lead to inform to instruct a lot of people once they hear all the facts they change their mind i practiced law before mm-hmm. before this as you know and a lot of times a jury will come in one way and end good then go another way and before you know it the end of the case they've, they've gone in a different way but uh, once you hear all the facts that's when you that's when you, you make up your mind. Has your personal judgment about Donald Trump ever shifted? No, sir. I think he's terrific. I think he's got a great family. 
I admire the man to be able to put up with the onslaught from uh, all the, the, that he's getting in the press and getting from, the, of course, the Democrats and getting from other candidates. Uh, I think he's uh, he must be strong as steel inside because uh, it doesn't seem to bother him a bit. How, how well have you gotten to know him? Fairly well. Uh, I'm proud to say I first met him when I endorsed him in January 2016 here in South Carolina. We had a magnificent crowd, about 10,000 people out in way out in the country. And <clears throat> some of the people, I think the meeting started about 7 o'clock. Some of the people have been standing there since 11 o'clock that mm-hmm. morning. Wouldn't leave. Wanted mm-hmm. to be on the front line to shake his hand, which, mm-hmm. which of course, they did. But uh, we. I saw that all over the country, Governor. Oh, it was terrific. It was, and there's more. Major, there was more excitement that day, or as much. I've only seen in one other place these rallies that I had been to with him and various things over over the last few years. And that was at a Beatles concert in Seattle, Washington, back in 1967. I happened to be there. And that audience went wild. Were you wearing bell-bottoms? No, I wasn't. I was, <laughs> but I was sure. I was wide awake, and I was watching the show. It was a crowd. It, it, was, it was something. And that's the same kind of enthusiasm that I see from Trump. But we talk on the phone sometimes. He's and the Republican me, Paul McCartney. Well, I... And, and George Harrison and Ringo Starr and John Lennon are after the one. See, they were all different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, uh, he was here Friday and to yes. Benedict College with uh, President uh, uh, Artis. And then, of course, uh, his wife, Lavanya, the First Lady, and uh, Karen Pence were here yesterday in Charleston coming in for some meetings. So we, we get to see him a lot. And do you talk to him on the phone? Every now and then. Mm-hmm. He likes to talk on the phone. That's right. He's a big talker on the well, phone. Well, see, that's a, that's something else. There, there are different ways to do things. Mm-hmm. One is you can wait and let everything come through staff and let come through channels. papers come to your desk and whatnot. Yeah, and that's one way That's one way to do it. But the other way is pick up the phone, call people. Go. The best thing you can do in this this kind of work, I think, is to get out and talk to the people. Mm-hmm. That's one reason I like the Lizard's Ticket and the Williams family. They're the ones that, that own them. It's, it's a great restaurant. You see people all the time in here. I've already seen a couple of friends since coming here to see you. I bet you have, Governor. That is the Lizard's Thicket. We're here. That's the gov- that's the voice of Governor Henry McMaster, 117th Governor of the great state of South Carolina. We're happy to be on the road again. I love taking the show on the road, as Governor McMaster said, meeting people, talking to folks, and bringing the takeout all across this great country. I'm Major Garrett, back for segment two in just a second. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. If you like the show, please head over to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify and let us know. Subscribe, rate, and review. We thank you. Some puzzles are hard to solve. Others are hard to prove. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Access episodes early and ad-free with 48 Hours Plus on Apple Podcasts. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. He was with me from day one, before it was fashionable. But he had good feelings, and he was a tremendously loyal friend, and he's a great governor, and he's become more and more popular I never want to see his uh, approval rating go above mine. Otherwise, we'll have to come in and give it one slightly negative speech about Henry McMaster. Thank you, Henry. That's the uh, distinctly recognizable voice of the 45th <laughs> president of the United States, Donald Trump. Last week, October 25th, in at Benedict College right here in Columbia, South Carolina, where I'm happy to say the takeout is this week. We're privileged to be here in Columbia, South Carolina. Lizard's Thicket is the restaurant we're having breakfast. Governor Henry McMaster is at the takeout table. 
that is uh, characteristic of your relationship with the president, it sounds like. Uh, warm, but uh, warm not to the point where you're supposed to be better than he is, uh, popularity-wise. <laughs> It'd be very uh, difficult to be more popular than the president is in South Carolina. Is that partic- right? Particularly among Republicans, yes. He's How popular is he? <clears throat> uh, at the top somewhere. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's way up. More than any Republican in your memory? I don't know about President Reagan. Uh, I don't know. But close. But I mean, yeah, he's they, in that league. In, he, he, yeah, he's in that league. He's, if not the highest, he's he's one. He, he may be the highest. Lisa's at the table. Lisa, good morning. It's great to see you. Good morning. Uh, the breakfast sampler is the one that's got all the meat in it, right? Yeah, sure. Yes, is. I'll have that with uh, two scrambled eggs and grits, please. All right. Now you want the link or the patty sausage with that? A link, please. And you want toast or biscuit? <laughs> a biscuit. Always all a biscuit. Right. Always a biscuit. We're in the South, for God's sake. Right. Always a biscuit. That's all. I'm going to have toast and I'll eat whatever he doesn't eat. That's right. <laughs> Let's be careful, Governor. <laughs> All right, we'll get that out. My knife and fork, very sharp. Um, I want to get your thoughts because uh, we're in Columbia this morning. It's a Thursday. In a couple hours, the House of Representatives is going to vote on an impeachment inquiry resolution. I'd like your thoughts, Governor McMaster, on what you see happening in Washington when it comes to the impeachment inquiry and the impeachment process and Donald Trump, President of the United States. Well, it's obvious this go the, the Democrats and those anyone opposed to Trump inside or outside are going to be pushing to, to to move that process, whatever it is, forward. It's, it's been a, a very ad hoc sort of a thing so far, not following the usual procedure. But I see it as a it just as a, another part of the campaign. I don't I don't see the the real substance to it. Mm-hmm. But I think there's enough enough steam in it and enough enough energy to. It's going to keep going for a while, but I don't think it's going to be successful. That is, it's not going to be successful in, in pe- impeaching the president and certainly not convicting him. And do you, you see it all politics? You don't see – is there anything that has left you uncomfortable about what you've learned so far about what the president did or didn't do with not Ukraine? Th- no, not a thing. Not a thing? Not a thing. And when Mitt Romney or others say they think it's improper or inappropriate, not impeachable, you say what? I say opinion. Mm-hmm. And they're wrong? Yes. Because? you got to follow the law. In what sense? It's not a high crime or a misdemeanor, any of that. It, I, I think he's innocent of any wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, those <clears throat> people in politics know that there are all sorts of discussions that, that go on, hardball discussions that go on. I see nothing wrong with what the president's done. Mm-hmm. And do you think there is something that's unique about his hardball approach to negotiating or talking to people? I think it's uh, it's unique in that he does a lot of it in the open, mm-hmm. but uh, as far as the the hardness of it, uh, he may be he's I think he's quicker on the draw and makes decisions quicker than than others. He follows his, his judgment, as I mentioned my quote from Jack Kennedy, it's, uh, something immoral about abandoning your own judgment. I mean he he has people don't realize he's been a student of politics for a long time, thirty or so years. He's been involved with. Political figures, and I think he's written checks for most of his adult life. As he frequently well, says, yes, a lot more than that. But he's been he's been a commentator. He's he's been involved. He's been interested, and he's been studying it. and And he understands economics. He understands prosperity and growth, and he understands uh, like a, a lot of frustrated people around the country that the United States has been taken for granted around the world for a long time, and that other people need to step up and do their part. He is making it this a major shift in. The way the the country is moving, I think he, he's turning it uh, towards the good, towards the strength, and I think we will we're about to go over a cliff. 
And I think so. I think he's correcting it, and making a lot of people uncomfortable. But I'm glad he's doing it because listen, we let these other countries continue to get stronger and stronger by taking away our strength, like China with the, the trade and all that. And at some point, it's too late to stand up. So he's standing up strong, loud and tall now, and I think that's great. Any doubt in your mind, Donald Trump will be reelected? No, no doubt. No doubt. None. And would you regard him uh, as a transformational figure in American yes. politics? Yes, I would. Why? Because he is bringing to the surface and to the forefront what I think the what President Nixon used to call the, the silent majority. There, there are a lot of people out there that have been watching things go in the wrong direction for a long time on and, television. And opted out of politics as a result. Oh, that's right. They didn't I, even I, vote. And they're watching the Supreme Court is now making law. They're not a lawmaking body. But the, a lot of the people out here think that a court's job is just to do the right thing. Well, it's, it is to do the right thing according to the law, even though it's a harsh thing. And we have judges now making law. Donald Trump's turned that around with his, his two appointments, Gorsuch and uh, Kavanaugh. They're terrific, and I hope he gets some more because that's a. <clears throat> it is frustrating to those who study the law or practice law or very interested in the law. If you understand the reasoning and the Constitution when you see the Supreme Court of the United States going in the wrong direction, it's very discomforting. And to have him, that's just one area where he has stood up for, for what he, he believes is right. The time he said Merry Christmas. I mean, there are people all over the country that are just frustrated. You can't say Merry Christmas anymore. It's one of the first things he did. It's like Ronald Reagan when he was, was it his first inauguration or at the convention speech, uh, but some way he said, well, my advisors told me not to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And he had to said a prayer, asked for I think that was the DS acceptance speech in 1980. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody cheered. But since then, we've become <clears throat> embattled over uh, faith and, 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 and scorned and belittled on a lot of things like that. And Donald Trump is turning that around and more power to him. I want to talk to you a little bit about that because... Uh, there are plenty of people in a city like Washington or maybe New York or San Francisco that would regard some of the things you just mentioned as too simple and too corny. That's right. And they that, would look down on it. That's right. But you that's find right. it to be important in politics. You find it important about the characteristics of Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. Well, it's important to the, the, the men who wrote the Constitution and the states that adopted it as well. Go on. It's very simple. Go on. It's, Len Blatt, you got a right to bear arms. Have a right to due process, things like that. The states, if you remember, the states created the national government. Yes. The states had a vital role, mm -hmm. and that is over the years that has shifted away to our um, uh, weakness, I think, all around the country. We need to have more responsibility in the states, let people do things their ways. Now, under the Constitution and under the laws mm -hmm. passed by those states. Right. Now, it's a big topic, and we'll talk more about it. When you talk states' rights, uh, that that affects certain people listening to it a certain way, particularly well, the history of South Carolina, history of the South. Well, there are a lot of, lot of words that, uh, that, that people use that mean one thing to one person, another means something, to, else. something else somebody else, and that's all right. But always, and I understand that, I understand that, but always go back to the Constitution and read it and see what it says. And it, the reason they wrote, we got a written Constitution in this country. The reason they wrote it down is because they wanted everybody to know what they meant. Mm -hmm. And there it is. All you have to do is read it. If you want to change it, you have to amend it. They provided for that. 
We have courts that are changing it without amending it. They're getting into legislation instead of uh, judging it. And when Donald Trump as a candidate announced a list of people that he would consider to appoint to the Supreme Court, how much do you think that influenced Republicans about voting ultimately for Donald Trump? I think Because no candidate had ever done that before. Well, no candidate's done a lot of things that, that he's done. Of course, there's no candidate that's done things that uh, Ronald Reagan did. For example, when, when President Reagan went over to the, the Berlin Wall and had, had his speech, Mr. Mm-hmm. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, all his advisors told him, don't say that. Struck it, eliminated it from the speech. Several times. He'd put it back in. They'd send, send it back, have it out. He'd put it in. And someone told me that uh, he chuckled to him on the way over there. I think it might have been Ambassador Walker, who was from South Carolina, someone else who said that he told him just before he went in, he says, watch this. He says, they keep taking it out, but I'm going to put it back in. But that was something that most presidents don't do. They all do things in different ways. The main point is they, they need to, they make their, if they can make their point clearly and forcefully for people to understand, then what they're talking about, what they want to do, that's good. If they don't like it, you vote against them. If you like it, you vote for them. That's the voice of Henry McMaster, governor of South Carolina, where lizards thick it here in Columbia, South Carolina. Major Garrett, back for segment three in just a second. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. I'm Major Garrett. Welcome back to Columbia, South Carolina. Happy to have the show on the road. I'm always happy to have the show on the road. Bring it to more Americans. Spread the vibe of the takeout, which I'm always happy to do. Columbia, South Carolina is where we're at. Lizard's Thicket is the name of the restaurant. It's kind of a place here of notoriety, especially when Governor Henry McMaster walks in the door. He's already greeted several folks he knows here. I want to talk to you a little bit about your political career. You ran in 1986, lost. Ran again in 1990, lost. Ran in 2002, won. 2006, won. 2010, lost. Won in 2014, won in 2014. 2014, set of primaries. And then won again in 2018. I got How lost did, in there a little bit while yeah, you were talking. Yeah, so you lost a lot early on. Yes, what well, did I won, you, I won the did primaries, you, lost the general election. What did you learn from that, and why did you stick it out? Try um, harder. M- most people... Uh, might have turned away or gotten discouraged. You did not. Well, as Muhammad Ali told some young fellow who asked him, said, Champ, didn't you get knocked down by George Foreman or uh, Joe Frazier? He said, son, I've never been knocked down. I'm either up or getting up. I think that's good advice. Mm -hmm. But this is something I've wanted to do. And being in Columbia, it's a little bit easier. The state capital is here. My mom and daddy were involved in politics. You're born here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting, ladies and gentlemen, because he is, Henry McMaster is the only governor in the history of South Carolina born in Columbia. I think that's right. Yes, sir. But my father served in the House, and he was, he was a lawyer. I've got five brothers, so Mama stayed at home. Mm-hmm. But uh, we have friends, my parents' friends, well, some of them were in politics, in and out of politics. I've always just, I find it fascinating. And then in um, 
I went to, to Washington right after law school and worked for Strom Thurmond mm-hmm. on the hill. Stayed up there about a year. That's where I met my wife, Peggy. She was flying for United Airlines. And um, I came back and got more interested and involved and helped Senator Thurmond in, in a, one of his campaigns when I was in law school. And then in 78, I guess it was about 1978 when he was running for re-election, Bob Hope came down to campaign for him. And, uh, we were at an, an event. I was with an old friend of mine, much older than I, named Fleming Mason, who was an old FBI agent and very knowledgeable in, in everything political. And that's that's when I thought, well, this is this is something I really want to spend some more time on. Mm-hmm. But how did you absorb those early losses? What did they tell you? What, well, what did you learn you. from them? You 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 learned that you have to learn, have to know what you're doing. You have to, of course, you got to raise a lot of money. Senator Hollings, who was, was a terrific man, who passed away recently. Used to complain while he was in Washington. He said he had to raise ten thousand dollars a day. I mean, I think it's more than that now. Mm-hmm. I mean, those kind of races. But you, you learn the issues. You learn the people. You learn the state. It's delightful to go around the state and, and meet people and talk to them and see things. And it's it's just a and and being a lawyer, and politics is about the law because ultimately you pass in laws that people mm-hmm. have to live under and getting judges elected and those kind of things setting up a government all of which has to be legal so the law plays well into that as a support in understanding uh, what you what you need to do what you can do what you can't do under the constitution of the law so I find it it's something I love I mean I, I look forward to going to to the office every day or, or working at the at the mansion or going out out enjoy it it's did not, the, it's not the, for everybody. Uh, did the political times meet you? Were you out of step with them earlier? Or what happened to make you more successful later in your political career than you were earlier? I guess I did better. Oh, I did it. I, I don't know. You know, elections are crazy things. You you, you could, if it's hell one day you'd win, hell the next day you might lose. But it's, it's uh, I think it's a rewarding thing because you ultimately you're trying to make life better for, for your people. And you talked about trade a little while ago and the president. Uh, this state has a good number of large manufacturing oh, yeah. uh, firms that are from other countries. That's right. Mercedes-Benz, Volvo. Volvo, BMW. BMW. Large, BMW's largest manufacturing plant in the world is in Spartanburg. A new BMW every 61.7 seconds rolls out of that plant. That's hard to believe. How has the trade conversation influence South Carolina's economy and do you have any concerns about that? I do have concerns and we have uh, the we've had meetings with with the president with Mr. Lighthouser who's by the way whose brother is uh, Jim is setting up a Liberty Trail a revolutionary war thing in in the country and in South Carolina. Oh, look and it up. South Carolina played a significant role in the revolutionary war. More, more skirtle, more skirmishes and battles in South Carolina over 200 than any other state. This is where the war was won, and we aim to bring that fact to the people. Another thing people don't understand. But uh, also, uh, Mr. Navarro, we've met with him. We're on the phone with them, and uh, they they listen to us. They don't always agree with us. But uh, we, we do get a, a respectful audience, and uh, we, we had some nuclear questions. We met with the president on that, and Senator Graham, and Congressman Wilson, and uh, Senator uh, Scott. I mean, we, we have, there's an open door at the White House, and in the in, And what in is your concern about trade? What is, what is the essence of that concern? That tariffs will either oh. drive the companies who are here out or discourage other ones from coming in? Well, it's, I don't think it's going to drive anybody out, but it's making it, uh, that they tell us that it is, it's making it very tough on them. 
and and they have figures to show that. Others have said others have been able to overcome it. And we've gotten some relief on some things, but the, the main thing that concerns them is just the uncertainty of it. They don't don't know what's going to happen. But the president's goal, as we've alluded to earlier, is to to be sure that our country is economically strong. You cannot be militarily strong. You can't be safe. You can't be secure unless you are economically strong or you have someone else who's economically strong who's going to protect you. Mm -hmm. We must be economically strong. And to be economically strong, we must make things in this country. We can't be buying everything from everywhere else. So the president's goal to have a strong, vibrant economy of manufacturing and high-tech and all those things is a, an excellent goal, and he, he's pushing it every day, and I support that. We are trying to get things settled down to where they do not hurt industries that should, should not have to, to, to suffer. But um, it's, a, it's a process, mm -hmm. and we tell them that those that are, are very concerned, and they're, they're good friends, we talk to them a lot. Uh, they do have concerns. We understand those, and we're doing the best we can to see that they get out from under those uh, those obstacles and negatives as soon as they can. Uh, a moment ago, Governor McMaster, you talked about guns, right to bear arms, constitutional rights. Uh, I want to play for you a soundbite from a woman named Shannon Watts, who uh, was on our program when we were in Chicago recently. Mm -hmm. uh, she is the volunteer leader of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. She's a very strong gun safety advocate. That's how she would describe it. I want to play the soundbite for you, her voice, and I want you to respond on the other side. Arden, that's number three. This is simply about restoring the responsibilities that go along with gun rights. What about assault weapons? We support an assault weapons ban. Uh, the top priorities for our organization are background checks, red flag laws, and disarming domestic abusers. We also work on high-capacity magazines, so to limit the size of those, we found through research that that is effective in uh, reducing the amount of deaths in a mass shooting. Uh, but ultimately, the, the priorities have to be keeping guns out of the hands of dangerous people. Your reaction? She, she's right about that. The priority is keeping guns out of the hands of dangerous people. And we're taking steps in South Carolina to see that, that those who have the kind of criminal record that would disallow them to possess a firearm, that those, those records are fully available. That's what happens. Does that include domestic abusers? It it, it would depend on the kind of domestic abuse that's involved. I mean, if it involves a firearm, then uh, perhaps I, the, the details of the law are, are the details, and we're working on new laws at this time. But what we have found is one of the main problems is the information about the convictions are not given to the central source uh, quickly and, and uh, fully enough to be to be used. So we, we, we've taken some steps in South Carolina to make that to, to block that, to make that work, and mm -hmm. make it to go quicker. Are you comfortable and, with so-called red flag laws? Well, it depends. It depends on how, how they work. Probably uh, just to have someone complain about someone and then you go in and take their gun. No, you can't do that. The, first, the Second Amendment doesn't allow that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't allow that. You have a right to have a gun. If it's going to be taken from you, there's it's got to be due process. So the question is what's due process, and that's, that's and, where and the And what's the standard? What's the standard that's of right. conduct? That's right. And it's, it's got to be... Just because always starts at the proposition that we have, everyone has a right to bear arms. It's in the Constitution. It means what it says. 
So you, you start there. You don't you don't start from any other place. That's where you start. That's the voice of Henrik McMaster, 117th Governor of South Carolina, Major Garrett. We're at Lizard's Thicket here in Columbia, South Carolina. Back for segment four in just a second. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to Columbia, South Carolina. Lizard's Thicket is our restaurant. It's a great country restaurant. I am about halfway through my breakfast sampler, which includes ham, bacon, sausage, eggs, and, of course, grits. And the grits are mighty fine. And a biscuit. You can't have a southern breakfast, a proper southern breakfast, without a biscuit or grits. Henry McMaster, 117th governor the great state of South Carolina, is our guest governor. Um, You were, uh, at times, uh, critical of some uh, gun safety advocates, uh, calling them uh, either dupes or uh, sort of hypnotized by left-wing either uh, ideologies or activists. I said that? Yeah, or something like that. I don't think I said that. Um, I might have said they were wrong. Wrong. what, What is your level of disagreement with those who would like to see more done on background checks, red flag laws, or assault weapons bans, and the like. Well, I think the What's an- your central disagreement? The, the, the answer is the background check. I, I think that is the simplest, the quickest, the, the, mo- the best way to do it is to have those that information available in the computer somewhere where it's accessible at any or at any gun store. If we we can do that, banks do that kind of stuff. I mean, health companies, insurance companies do that. Why can't we do that? Would you uh, want that at the federal level? president has yet to endorse that fully i think that's a state question a state question okay mm-hmm. because because that that's the police power mm-hmm. police power belongs to the state under the constitution so uh you would be in favor of your own kind of background check created by the state legislature here in south carolina and other states but you would be uncomfortable with a federal background well, no, check. no it, it's all part of a federal system that, that's all right but it, it it the thing needs to be implemented at the state level mm-hmm by, 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 the, by the state authorities. Talk to me about what's going on in South Carolina right now on abortion. Uh, Medicaid uh, provides, according to a federal court recently, that if you're a South Carolinian, you can, uh, you can obtain an abortion through Medicaid, and you're opposed to that. Is that correct? Well, the only places that provide it are through Medicaid or the uh, Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. places. They're either two or three of those. Right. <clears throat> and our position was that... States are allowed to put into their system for family health services of those entities that are qualified. I think that an entity that uses those that money, federal money and other money, that comes in for the Medicaid program that is disseminated, spent by these entities, should not be used for abortions. Why? Because most of the taxpayers in this state do not favor their money being spent on abortions. So we took the Planned Parenthood, we we blocked all funds going to those entities, which included Planned Parenthood, and then we used some other money to fund those other than Planned Parenthood. The court said that we couldn't do that. I think that we can. I think that they are not qualified under our view, and that's why we intend to take the case, follow up, and go to the Supreme Court. And if do you think that that case could be something that could encroach upon the established precedent of Roe versus Wade? Could be. Is that your but desire? Yes, I think Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided. That was a seven to two decision. 
in 1973. And at the time, as pointed out by Justice Rehnquist, one of the two dissenters, at the time, the 14th Amendment that provides due process, which the whole Roe v. Wade was based on, a right of privacy, somehow the word privacy is not in the Constitution. Right. It's an elimination and a penumbra. Right. Those aren't in there either. Now, there is a right of privacy in the South Carolina Constitution, but there is not one in the U.S. Constitution. Constitutions are different. But at the time those words in the U.S. Constitution were passed, there were 37 states. 36 of them prohibited abortions. So how can we say that the Constitution, which was passed, that amendment passed in 1868, when 36 states prohibited abortions, how can we say that that amendment that was passed on that day was to allow abortions? So there Can't is, say it. if I hear you correctly, there is no constitutional right to an abortion. Correct. And if you... Uh, deny in the state of South Carolina, if you prevail, and Planned Parenthood cannot use Medicaid funds, do you believe there will be no abortions in South Carolina? Say it again. If you prevail, and... If they if they can't uh, use those funds, I, I think that will uh, greatly inhibit their ability to give abortions, and those are the only ones that are doing it. Right. Well, my question, therefore, is do you think women in South Carolina in duress will seek them elsewhere, and if they do so in they, an unsafe they, manner? They, they, they may. That'll be... The decisions uh, result from court decisions. I can't see the future, but I presume if if we win, that that will eliminate Planned Parenthood, and they are the ones doing it. Listen, they promote abortions. They don't just give them. They promote abortions, and they, you remember the selling of the body parts and all that stuff that's on television. That is a it's a it's a grotesque. The whole thing is 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 not the kind of thing that we like in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And is it principally about? Uh a moral approach to the issue, or is it about taxpayer money? Well, it's about what's in the Constitution, and it's about taxpayer money, and it's about the the feeling in South Carolina about what, what we want to have as a part of our state and what we don't want to have. To answer your question, it's all of the above, but the basic thing is it's a constitutional question. If you go way back to the beginning, is if the, the court in 1973 by 72 decision discovered a right in the that Constitution. That you believe does not exist. I believe, well, the, the founders didn't believe it either. Because there are 36 out of 37 states in 1868 when the amendment was passed, the 14th Amendment that mm-hmm. applied to the states, 36 of 37 states did not allow abortions. Right. But let's let's just play the law out for a little bit. Before Roe versus Wade, there was a case decided called Griswold versus Connecticut, which was about a state law in Connecticut that prevented married couples from getting contraception. And the courts ruled, you know, there is no there is no state interest, enforceable state interest. Federal courts, Supreme Court ruled this to make that law real. There is a right to privacy that a married couple has to not have the state interfere with a decision about obtaining contraception if they want to. And that began the idea, the presidential concept of a right to privacy. uh, Either that or some other case. There were other cases that... that And so this right to privacy, I know from your perspective, sort of came out of Roe versus Wade, but it did have some presidential... That's correct. ...foundations beneath it. That's right. You disagree with all of those? That's right. Okay. As a matter of politics and law? That's right. Okay. And in, you would like to see a future of South Carolina where there are no abortion providers, correct? I would like to see every child grow up to be happy and have a strong, happy life. And anything that 
goes in that direction, I am for. Anything that opposes that or restricts that, I'm against. And there is nothing in your point of view, Governor, that inhibits someone, a woman's right. Does she have a right to an abortion? Does she have a right? Yes. There's no constitutional right to an abortion. This is a question of law, what we're dealing with. Very good. That's the voice of Henry McMaster. 117th Governor of South Carolina. We've been at Lizard's Thicket. We will have the takeout outtake especial in one more segment. Stay tuned for that. I'm Major Garrett. For more from this week's conversation, download the takeout outtake especial Tuesday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. The takeout is produced by Arden Farin, Katiana Krachenko, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, and Ellie Watson. CBSN production by Alex Zuckerman, Eric Susanen, and Grace Seegers. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, visit TakeoutPodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News Radio. Yes, please, Major. Call it Major. If you like the takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them? and not the man pulling the strings. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.